Good afternoon. My name is Angel Fall. Uh, thank you for listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. And I am host of Victims to Victorious. And the main focus of our show is solving the epidemic of black-on-black crime in urban areas in the United States. And of course, as we are recording, the coronavirus is taking a toll on lives all across the world. It is a pandemic. It is being met with um, all the scientific might that various countries have, all the policy enforcement that certain states have. I am broadcasting from Cleveland, Ohio today. Hopefully we will broadcast from Chicago in the summer. And we are um, we are housebound right now. Uh, the previous show, I took a look at the relationship between war and biological weaponry and um, homicide. And today I'm going to take a look at the weather as it impacts homicide rates. And it would be remiss of me not to mention uh, some things about the coronavirus. And I will, of course, um, Sanjay Gupta from CNN has a wonderful video about washing your hands. He says, make sure you include getting underneath your fingernails and your thumbs. And we will return to that um, again because media is one of the number one ways people get their information. And podcasts have become something people drive along with, exercise with, sign on to, etc. So the title of today's show is Spring Showers, Murder and Weather, When Heat Kills. And of course, spring has technically begun for the parts of the United States, especially the Midwest, that are can and are experiencing cleanouts from snowstorms. We're not we're not out of the wind uh, the window of weather for snowstorms, but the actual spring date was I believe March 23rd, which uh, is my father's birthday. I'm going to define spring. Spring, also known as springtime, is one of the four temperate seasons succeeding winter and preceding summer. There are various technological definitions of spring, but local uses of the term varies according to local climates, cultures, and customs. And actually, to to connect us back to the virus, if you heard Dr. Fauci, I believe believe it was CNN, I could be wrong, uh, he he took questions about whether or not the weather temperature outside impacts transmission of the coronavirus, and he said yes, as people get outside more, the transmission rate and the burden of disease should expect to go to go down. So what is the relationship between weather and homicide? I'm reading from an article called from vmscience.com slash science slash weather hyphen crime hyphen connection hyphen 04234. If you are listening to the podcast and want to go to the article and you can't find the article you can always send me a direct email um, on Air Angel. Uh, you can also send an email to um, Lisa Rose Rodriguez, the epidemiologist I also often reference, L-R-R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z underscore M-P-H at yahoo.com. So I'm reading from the article, Whether in Crime is Your Connection? Some of the most interesting and informative aspects of criminal investigations are the motives and social or environmental conditions that contribute to specific criminal acts. From substance use to socioeconomic 
background and exposure to violent media. Of course, that's one of um, Scotty's topics, and Scotty Reed is the sound engineer and founder of the Black Talk Radio Network. So exposure to violent media, experts have attempted to understand the factors that make particular types of crimes more likely or that correlate to an increased overall crime rate. Studies in this area have made it clear that the circumstances that promote violence and crime are just as complex as the motivations of the perpetrators. Recent research has tied in crime rates to an environmental factor, the weather. Between extended cold spells to blistering summer heat, temperature, and weather conditions have taken blame for increased criminal activity in many different news stories covering a range of locations. In many cases, law enforcement officers and others seem, con- others seem convinced that atmospheric factors play a role in crime rates, but does this evidence actually show a correlation between weather and crime? So this is me analyzing the article for the listeners just right there. When there is a direct correlation between weather and crime, like in other words, you should see a specific event in the weather and that should be linked to a specific statistic of crime. What did the what the data says about crime rates and temperatures. Fortunately, multiple studies have been completed to determine whether there is any truth to the claims that weather conditions in either extreme co- contribute to an increased likelihood of criminal activity. These studies have proved, provided, I'm sorry, important insights into the ways that temperature influences the, influence the frequency of certain crimes. Warm weather leads to higher crime rates. So that is called a direct relationship. Again, I'm analyzing the article for the listeners. So when one goes up, the other goes up. Tracking ambient temperature and crime rates, a Finland study used nearly two decades of data to identify possible connections between them. Research found that the temperature changes were responsible for 10% of fluctuations in the nation's crime rate a 1.7% increase in criminal activity for each degree centigrade. Remember, this article comes from Finland instead of Fahrenheit. More specifically, the study found that increased serotonin levels resulting from high temperatures likely contribute to increased impulsivity and higher risks of crime. A recent comparison of crime and temperature data across 10 U.S. cities echoed the findings of the Finland study. Looking only in the number of shootings, the investigation found that as temperature rose, so did the number of shooting victims in nine out of ten cities. The outlier San Francisco has weather patterns that are notably more moderate. So uh, when you're listening to me, I do step away from the article. I do provide some of my professional insight. So the outlier means that you have a graph. There's one little dot that seems to be disconnected from the others, but the the researchers here are explaining that the fluctuation in the temperature in San Francisco is not as extreme. What does that mean? I'm broadcasting from Cleveland, Ohio. So in the springtime, we still have snow, which means it could be 30 30 degrees outside, even 20-something degrees outside. Chicago, Detroit, New England, they are similar in this type of weather pattern. So it can snow in March or April, but July, it could be 80 or 90 degrees. So that is a fluctuation in temperature. If we look at 20 and 90, that's a fluctuation of not a 70 degrees. And so such a big disparity between the low and the high in the time frame create these 
create the map or create the chart for the other cities, when for the San Francisco area, the swing is not as wide. Certain crimes are more are more closely related to weather conditions. I'm returning to the article. If you wish to find the article, you can go to zmescience.com, and the title of the article is Weather and Crime. Is there a connection? As a subtitle, when temperature peaks, so does the crime. And this article is written by uh, researchers at the Virginia Wesleyan University. It was written less than a year ago. Remember, the research is always retrospective in that they're looking back a year or two. So let's track ambient time. That's what they're saying, ambient temperatures. Tracking ambient temperature and crime rates, the Finland study used nearly two decades of data to identify a possible connection between them. Researchers found that the temperature changes were responsible for 10% of fluctuations in the nation's crime rate. I did read that before, but I wanted to try to connect the dots for people who just tuned in. The outlier was San Francisco. Now let's go forward. Another major American city, Chicago, provides further insights into the impact of weather and temperature on crime rates. Police crime data from the city of Chicago the City of Chicago Data Portal, and you can click on that if you're on the article. And Chicago is very good about publishing its crime, uh, crime statistics. It, the City of Chicago Data Portal indicates that within the annual summer crime peak, certain types of crime appear more weather-dependent. Out of seven major crime categories, theft along with shooting, that's what we're focused on here on Victim 2 Victorious, the number of African-American males who are victimized by homicide because they are overrepresented in the number given their, um, their computation in the population. So out of seven major crime categories, theft along with shootings and other battery saw the greatest increase as temperatures rose, with nine additional incidents for every 10-degree temperature increase. Other categories of crime are correlated to a lesser extent, including criminal damage, five more incidents for 10-degree increase, and assault, three additional incidents. Burglary, narcotics, and homicide were significantly impacted by weather variations, limiting the correlation of temperature to certain types of crime. Other weather conditions show little correlation to high crime rates. And it's good when you're looking at research or conducting research to say what happens when this happens and what happens when this doesn't happen. This trend of violent crimes rising with the temperature has been corroborated by several studies across the globe. But it appears to be the only weather condition that relates to an increase in crime. Data collected in the South African city of Shawane, please leave me a comment if I mispronounced it, on victims to Victoria. Shawane found significantly higher rates of violent, sexual, and property crimes on the hottest days. Violent crimes in particular rose 50% compared to the city's coldest day. But if you know anything about geography, South Africa does get cold. Every country in Africa is not located on the equator. Rainfall had a much less noticeable relationship to crime rates, with a decrease in violent and sexual crimes and only a 2% increase in property crimes. Similarly, similarly, during cold weather conditions, ranging from standard winter to brutal blizzards, Crime instances tend to decrease. Knowing that hot weather is a factor in crime rates is valuable for law enforcement 
and even more important, understanding why temperature seems to have an influence on violence. And of course, if you've been following my show since last year, we want to know about all the factors that increase or decrease homicide rates between African-American males who live in these urban areas between the ages of about 18 and 40. Temperature and Opportunity is the next subtitle of the article, and it's called Weather and Crime is Their Connection. I will be happy to send it to you. Uh, send, uh, post a comment to me on Victims to Victorious, or I'm sending a direct message on Twitter on Air Angel. One of the most obvious explanations for weather's apparent impact on crime is that warmer, tenture, warmer temperatures in general provide more opportunities for crime especially compared to cold or stormy weather. Warm summer days encourage more time spent away from the home and more, to, more outdoor activity. Along with increased opportunities by property related, for property-related crimes, there's an increase in interactions between people. Statistically speaking, more interactions provide a higher likelihood of violent or criminal encounter. The Philadelphia study mentioned above is clear evidence of this connection between weather and opportunity. And one of the uh, continuous tenets of Victims to Victorious is that interactions between individuals that escalate to violence could be mitigated if those individuals were taught how to de-escalate the violence in interpersonal conflicts. And we've mentioned before the program Cure Violence that was uh, started the inaugural program within Chicago, and there were other instituted programs of cure violence in Maryland and New York City, for instance, and um, you can look online, look at cure violence, you can follow, you can follow me again on Twitter, but we did a show about that, so learning how, learning how to de-escalate in a personal conflict would reduce the number of homicides between individuals who are having a conflict or a beef. But, and the temperature increases the number of people who are outside interacting. So this is all information for you if you are really focused on helping to stop gun violence. The summer hasn't come yet. This is still the spring. And this is why um, we're taking a look at this before the summer um, starts for today's show on um, spring showers, murder and weather, when heat kills. So the temperatures will continue to come up even if there's an outlier, a, a small blizzard, even a big one. The trend is upward. The other element that is often referenced in warm weather's influence on crime is a change in the temperament that occurs with the change in the temperature. Temperament being applicable to human beings' nature. In the Finland study, hot temperatures were, light, were linked the changes in brain chemistry that made it impulsive and aggressive actions more likely. And it is far from the only research to make this connection. Craig Anderson, leader of Iowa Center for the Study of Violence and expert in human aggression, explains that heat doesn't cause violence but does tend to encourage it. As an example, hot temperatures make it more likely that a pitcher will hit the player at bat but only after a batter on the pitcher's team has been hit. And of course, you can step back from that and analyze it and say that's kind of a retaliatory act if you watch baseball. The heat escalates situations 
by causing people to perceive more aggression in certain acts that may be intended. In other words, the mental effect of a warm day that makes you more likely to honk your horn is the same one that contributes to greater violence in the heat of the summer. Why a connection between weather and crime matters? Remember here in Victims to Victorious, we want to use public health models to solve this, and public health models integrate other disciplines. The article continues. The insight that hot temperatures do, in fact, have a connection to higher crime, higher crime rates is important for several reasons. For those in law enforcement and related fields, this knowledge will help them prepare for the rise in violent acts that comes with a higher temperature. It can also provide a better understanding of the mental factors that contribute to the commission of a crime. For environmentalists, the correlation between hot weather and crime is a valuable aspect of understanding the full impact of environmental changes on individuals. With the threat of global warming temperatures, effects on crime rates become a greater, even greater concern and yet another reason to pay attention to the environment. Of course, temperature is just part of the factors involved in an understanding of criminal justice and the environment. It's just one way that two are connected to each other. At Virginia Wesleyan University, our online criminal justice degree and online environmental studies program are designed for students who want to explore this topic further. And I went on ahead to read that because I have advocated for public health officials, medical doctors, other stakeholders, but maybe you're a listener to my show and you're trying to decide how you can make a difference. You're in high school and you haven't decided what your major would be. So studying criminal justice or even environmental studies could have an impact on the number of African-American um, homicides of African-American males within these large urban areas. So the title of today's show is Spring Showers, Murder and Weather, When He Kills. And of course the definition of spring is it's one of the four temperate seasons, meaning we experience that here in Canada, we experienced that in um, uh, the United States. Um, south, once you get to Mexico, the climates are not as um, distinct as these, but we are in the temperate time zone, and there is connection between weather and homicide. So there are more articles if you are interested. Um, weather and crime is their connection. That's the one I just read, published April 23rd, 2019. Um, and that comes from, from Virginia Wesleyan University. Weather and crime injustice. How does the temperature affect crime rates? I'm just reading um, a few of the titles of the other articles. And when you do research, it's a good idea to look on the back of the, if it's a published paper, if it's an online paper. If it's an online paper, a lot of times there are hot links. When you click on those hot links, they take to an additional resource or the event or the original paper that the data came from. So right now I'm reading Weather and Crime. If you wish to follow me online, you can find that article by going to the criminal-justice.iresearchnet.com. And the article is called Weather and Data. First, there's no question that extreme weather conditions affect crime patterns, just as they affect other human activities. 
If a hurricane strikes a city with a 100-mile-per-hour sustained wind, burglaries will go down during the hours that those winds are present. This is not because there are no motivated burglars in the city or because there are no unprotected homes or businesses with valuables in them. In fact, there are probably more unprotected homes uh, because individuals' resources may have evacuated the area. The simple fact is that when it is possible to walk on the street, the burglars cannot, when it's impossible to walk on the street, the burglars cannot get to the home. However, in a city of the impact of Hurricane Hugo, uh, the author James LeBeau found that once the hurricane had passed, there was a significant increase in calls to police for burglary, as well as a report of man with a gun, suggesting a possible increase in defensive gun use. This is according to the author LeBeau. When the motivated offender is able to move about, when suitable targets are available, and when the activities of guardians, such as the police, are directed elsewhere, crime increases. In general, criminologists do not look at such extreme weather events. Instead, they conduct their research on the range of normal variations in weather factors, seasonality. And that's what we mentioned uh, with the title of today's show, The Seasonality or climate and a look for changes in crime patterns that relate to changes in those factors. And the, the uh, seasonal, seasonality relates directly to the title of today's show, Spring Showers, Murder and Weather, When Heat Kills. Although variations in climate and its effects on people serve as explanations of differing crime rates in much of the early literature on weather and crime, the impact on crime has been largely discounted. The earliest observations that led criminologists to suggest the climatic impacts on crime were geographic differences in crime rates. In the United States, this was particularly the consistently high murder rates found in the South. Analyzing the argument here uh, as someone who helps the listeners interpret, they're going to say that there is a lack of variation and it's always hot in these places. Just simple as that. It is in fact that the murder rates in the South have been higher than any other region of the United States since data on crime has been collected. Examinations of the correlation of the South with homicide rates have been progressively sophisticated over the past hundred years and a significant debate has developed in criminology as to whether the association of the murder and southerness, in quotes, is due to cultural differences. Remember here in Victims to Victorious, we want to know why African-American males are overrepresented in the homicide rate, how we can stop this, and why, of course, is our country involved, not only as we record this, in a true pandemic based on infectious disease, but why has our country been involved in an epidemic of violence as a whole? Uh, reconnecting to the article, examinations of the correlation of the South with homicide rates has been progressively sophisticated over the past 100 years. And a significant debate has developed in criminology as to whether the association of murder and southerness is due to cultural differences. That was my reference before I analyzed the article. What is significant, however, is that in the dozens of scientific articles published on this question, since the 1960s, 
climbing is no longer considered as a possible explanation. Remember when I present you with research, I often like to look at what people say is true and what people say isn't true and let you, the listener, decide how much can you glean from that and how much can you use in your personal life or professional life to fight the epidemic of gun violence. And um, I'm not ignoring the coronavirus. I've mentioned it, and the last few minutes of the show, we will spend a little more time. Research conducted by DeFrancio in 1984, near the end of the 20th century, may have effectively laid the climate and crime argument to rest. After controlling for non-climatic variables, climate had only weak and indirect associations with crime rates. So this article um, references the research that preceded the, the um, research done in the article that we've read before. So when he, the researchers say they have, a, they, have, they have a control, it means that they are controlling a variable to see if the, the results are um, true or not. That's a simple explanation. The Fonzo found that economic conditions, urbanization, and population demographics remain the primary predictors of overall crime rate. Again, with the debate continuing. That's what I want the, the writer of this article is honest. Again, with the debate continuing over exactly which of the three carries the primary explanatory power. And here I'm going to introduce the listeners to a word called couch data. So, for instance, if everyone that you are interviewing or observing or getting narratives from or going back from arrest records, if everyone in this particular city that you find is African-American and from a social, certain social demographic and the temperature for the 90 days that you were doing your research only varied five degrees, your data is not going to be as tight on that. It's going to show much less of a correlation. I hope I explained that. So, seasons. Quitlet thermal law of delinquency argued that the heat and violent behavior were related, such that violent crimes would be higher in the summer months and property crimes higher in the winter. A casual exam examination of uniform crime reports data indicates that there is a considerable seasonal effect for both violent and property crime in the United States. However, when one looks at the uniform criminal reports from 1990 through 2003, it's obvious that the months in which the property crimes of burglary and larceny are highest are not in the coolest seasons, but in July, August, September, and June. This is a simple explanation of the data challenges the thermic law. Researchers in other locations have also found season, seasonal patterns of particular crimes, although some of these patterns are not the same as those found in the, in the United States. This article looks at England and Wales. Robbery and burglary both increase in the winter, whereas personal crimes peak during the summer. In Ghana, the personal crime of assault is, is also highest between June and September. Studies of sexual abuse in Chile indicate that the months in which the number of cases were highest was November, October, December, which are the late spring and summer in Chile. Indeed, in the United States, a temporal pattern in which certain months are significantly high and certain other months significantly low is apparent in almost all crimes. The problem is to determine whether the pattern variation is seasonal or monthly. This may sound like the same thing, but there is a difference, and it's a very important difference for theory, research, and policymakers. 
if one looks at the American data over the past five decades, one can see that a number of crimes are highest in the warmer months in July, in June, July, August, and September. Larceny, theft, burglary, aggravated assault, and rape all have peaks in July and August, with the third highest month most commonly being either June or September. So looking at American data, we see a seasonal pattern for rape, assault, larceny month, with all being, and burglary, with all being higher during the summer months. Because two of these are personal crimes and two are property crimes, they obviously don't support Quinnellet's thermic law. Robbery and murder, on the other hand, show significant monthly patterns, but the months involved do not appear in any one season. July and August are almost among the three highest months for murder in the United States, but the third most common month for high murder rates is December. This indicates a significant monthly pattern for homicide, yet it is clearly not a seasonal pattern. Also, robbery, which is considered a personal crime by the Uniform Crime Reports, is consistently at its highest during the months of December, January, October, and August. With these data, lead us to suspect, and research confirms that in any Country, the seasonal monthly patterns characteristics of any crime are determined in large part by cultural patterns. So we'll be back on the other end of the break. Um, I want to thank Scotty for uh, engineering the show and uh, founding the Black Talk Radio Network. And join me in a couple of minutes on the other side of the break. Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. All right, uh, thank you for tuning in to Victims to Victorious. We are about halfway through our show. Today's show is called Spring Showers, Murder, and Weather When Heat Kills. And uh, we are in the middle of a historic pandemic here in the United States of America and around the world. I am broadcasting from Cleveland, Ohio, where Governor Mike DeWine uh, has specific orders about staying staying in. So um, if you have a comment about today's show, you are welcome to go to the Black Talk Radio Network. Click on the button for Victims to Victorious. Of course, there are other shows hosted uh, by the Black Talk Radio Network. You can visit those as well. I am on Twitter. Look for me at On Air Angel. So what uh, the title of today's show, Spring Showers, Murder and Weather, When He Kills, what that is doing for us today is creating a framework where we are looking at the correlation between weather trends monthly monthly trends, daily temperature trends, and even there is a piece, we haven't really gotten to it, about biorhythm. Uh, in the summer, there is more 
there is more daylight, for instance. So the first article we read uh, made a reference to that about some of there are more opportunities for crime because people can be outside longer. The second article uh, mentioned inclement weather conditions, how they impact the burglary rate, and that um, looking at human beings, there are people who want to burglarize, but when it's zero degrees outside with a wind chill of minus 20, they stay home. Even though there are lots of people at home, they themselves, the criminals themselves, don't go outside. So here's another article. Um, if you're following us, this is a blog, blog and it's on the weather ops. Um, it's called blog.weatherops.com. The article is by Daphne Thompson. I don't know if she's on Twitter, but I certainly am, on Air Angel. And how does the temperature affect crime rates? Does the temperature affect the crime rate? Are more, are more crimes committed when it's hot out and less when it is cold? Let's look at what the data shows. And the author is Daphne Thompson. He is steaming mad. So she gives like a, um, a scenario. He is steaming mad. She let her temperature, her temper flare. They are simmering with anger. The team's frustration is boiling over. Our language matches heat with the negative emotions frequently. How does this compare to real crime rates? There have been numerous studies to see what the actual connection is between hot temperature and violence. Statistics can be a messy field. As many claim, people can make numbers say anything they want. And, um, of course, there are words for that. There is uh, stacking the deck. But even then... Um, there's something that research call, researchers call couch data. Like, in other words, they have seen a trend, but there's another piece of the trend bar that's influencing the trend. So then hopefully there will be a group of researchers who pull that piece out and look at it. We mentioned that uh, largely, like the demographics of the South. Are they looking at African-American males committing the crimes? Are they looking at the influx of Latinos committing crimes? that are new to the South. Does it matter if the Latino population that's new to the South is from South America or Central America? Those would be examples of things that needed to be studied to pull the data apart and get a more fine-tuned view of what the trends are. For instance, returning to the article, it was recently reported that a rise in ice cream sales correlated with an increase in homicides. Unless ice cream trucks are murdering people, then this correlation is just a coincidence. After all, correlation doesn't always equal causation. And the author here is Daphne Thompson. Pulling that apart a little bit. The correlation is just a coincidence. A correlation doesn't always equal causation. Ice cream sales go up in warm, warm weather months, especially for those of us who live in temperate climates. So do homicide rates. So it is a bit erroneous to say that one is causing the other but the two events do occur separately and they're based on the climate. Daphne continues, what do we do when the weather is warm? Many people head outside to enjoy the day. I've noticed more people out riding bikes, jogging, walking dogs when the temperature is pleasant. Parks are crowded, festivals and parades occur, and outdoor music festivals happen during the late spring and early summer months. Data shows that this isn't necessarily that more that it isn't necessarily that more crimes 
are linked with the summer. The connection is the warmer weather in general. Remember we mentioned seasonality and monthly temperature. No matter what time of year, the article continues. A lot of data are available for Chicago, so let's look at some graphs focusing on the third largest city in the United States. And for those of you who have been following me uh, since last year, we are going to try to do a few shows in Chicago. It's one of the, it's the third largest city in the United States, and it unfortunately leads the city in the number of uh, per capita homicides, especially those involving guns and African-American men. Now, you cannot see her chart online, but she um, shows that there is a correlation between degrees Fahrenheit, the first article you sent Celsius, and the number of assaults. The next graph she shows shows that there is a correlation between degrees Fahrenheit and the number of batteries. She shows a chart for narcotics, narcotics and stalking. And if you um, have been paying attention, a stalking and is a uh, predictor for homicide. Battery is a predictor for homicide, and so is assault. So when the temperature uh, gets to between 70 and 90, so do these criminal events peak. But that's by the interpretation of the assault uh, and the data, the narcotics data, et cetera, for the listeners. If you want to see the article, you go to blog.weatherops.com and look for the article from Daphne, I'm sorry, Daphne Thompson. So let's uh, return to the article and listen to her commentary. Again, we see many peaks and dips within the data. The correlation with hotter temperatures is less apparent. There appears to be that more, that more crimes can be happening any time of the year. However, you can see that it peaks, and I'm interpreting the article, when the temperature gets to 90 in all of her charts. Um, does violence flow cold, does violence slow down in colder weather? Now, when you do research, you want to know what is the opposite of something. If something goes up when something happens, what happens when something goes down? Very often when you prove the opposite, you actually prove the whole. And a really good example, maybe you don't do research. Maybe you're listening to me and you just want to reduce the crime in your neighborhood and you're trying to form a grassroots organization or connect with others. Maybe you're just concerned about violence in general because we have begun this series and many shows talking about violence as an epidemic in America. But please understand that when people do research, they kind of have to be able to prove the opposite. Does violence slow down in cold weather, Daphne asked. In 2015, record-breaking cold temperatures were measured across the eastern portion of the country. During this period, New York City had a 12-day span without a homicide, the longest since the police started to keep track in 1994. In Boston, major crimes dropped 34% after experiencing over six feet of snow in the snow in the area. Many large cities in the area saw a decrease in criminal activity. The only one that rose was car theft, as people left vehicles running to warm up. Of course car theft would be a crime theft would be a crime of opportunity. And there may be people who took who stole cars that have never had a criminal past. I wouldn't I would not categorize that neither would social scientists as a violent crime. Remember, the second article we presented distinctly spoke about inclement weather events, like a hurricane. 
a blizzard and their impact on crime. So just reviewing those statistics a little bit. In a 12-day span without a homicide, it also was a very cold uh, winter in that year. Now, maybe asking what about the crime rates in cities that are almost always warm? Again, this article is Weather Ops, written by Daphne Thompson. A study was done in Dallas about whether temperature related to violent, weather temperature related to violent crime. Their results showed a relationship was relevant to an increase in temperature when the temperature uh, became more moderate after 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and then the negative correlation showed up after 90 degrees. And that's what the chart uh, responds. So if you're a European listener, we are using Fahrenheit as our barometer because that's what's used in the United States. But we did present other art- an article initially that uses a Celsius temperature. So the, her chart shows it in her description here. 80 degrees Fahrenheit, the, temperature, the crimes became more moderate. After 90 degrees Fahrenheit, the temperature incited more violence. The conclusion was that it was at, at, that as it became hotter outside, people went inside to cooler environments and that crimes of opportunity decreased. Again, our language matches decreasing temperatures with calming down because here, here people literally cool off or chill out. The weather does not cause crime, of course. It is people's actions that lead to violence. Are there other reasons for this increase? There could be more police patrol in the summer to catch the criminals. Another reason for the increase could just be that there are more chances with the population increasing outdoors. However, many of these studies were done with climate change in mind. When the temperature of the planet expected to rise over the coming decades, will crime also rise? While many countries have air conditioning, third world ones don't have this advantage. So she's supposed not to say third world, she's supposed to say developing countries. That's more politically correct. An increase in temperature can also be linked to famine. Will these areas experience more wars as their environments heat up? Only time will tell. And you can leave a comment for Daphne um, on her blog, Daphne Thompson Weather Ops. But I just want to make a little bit of clarification here. I'm going to read this a little bit again. I'm going to read some of the paragraph again. Their results showed a relationship was relevant to an increase in temperature, but it became more moderate after 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and then a negative correlation showed up after 90 degrees Fahrenheit. The conclusion was that it was as it became hot terror outside, people went inside the cool environments and that the crimes of opportunity decreased. I mentioned that her chart showed a peak at 90 but what I wasn't sure was clear is that after a Fahrenheit temperature of 90, for instance, in Dallas, it does go up to 100, even the criminals appear to go inside because it seems to be hot. And that 90-degree temperature peak is seen across demographics, especially as presented in her blog. If uh, you just tuned in, we have about, um, I think we have about 15 minutes to go, Scotty. Um this is Victims to Victorious. I'm Angel Fall. And we're looking at the, the relationship between weather and crime. And we are going to um, take a look at the coronavirus just because this is a pandemic and we can't pretend that we are not affected. So in these uh, 
in this discussion about about cities, I just want to remind the listeners because the summer is coming, the weather's already already warmed up in some of these places that are known for notorious African American males shooting each other. Just want to give the listeners a little bit about where these places are, okay, um, in this pandemic. So people are still dying from gunshot wounds. This is not something that the mainstream media, mainstream media is reporting. So um, I'm just going to remind the listeners that this is going on. This article is called Neighborhood Scouts Murder Capitals of America 2020, published two months ago, January 2nd, 2020, by Dr. Andrew Schiller. Countdown of the top 30 cities in the U.S. with the highest murder rate. I'm not sure we're going to get to all of them. The murder capital of America isn't Chicago, but it is in Illinois for the second straight year. With nearly one murder per 1,000 residents, this year's murder capital so far, and remember he's writing this in January, is East St. Louis, Illinois, and has a murder rate of 17.5 times the national average and four times Chicago's murder rate. And let that fall fall on, onto your ears for a contemplative moment. Louisiana has the highest number of murder capitals on the list with four. Jackson, Mississippi fell off the list this year with a pretty impressive drop from 60 to 37 homicides and a significant decrease in the, decrease in the overall violent crime rate. And remember, no, where you, no matter where you go in America, homicides are dominated through morbidity and mortality records as the victim having a gunshot wound or several gunshot wounds. Remember also when I mentioned morbidity, victims get sick, victims get paralyzed, victims' organs are torn up by bullets, and the victim may or may not die uh, immediately. Some of the statistics and some of the laws enforce the fact that someone dies from the gunshot wounds a year or two later, and of course it depends on the jurisdiction but whether or not that case can be papered, but they're going to show up in the statistics. Big cities and small, our crime research reveals the 30 cities in America with the highest numbers of murder per 1,000 residents, per 1,000 residents. Murder is the willful, non-negligent killing of one human being by another. We limited our research to cities with 25,000 or more people. Data used for this research are the number of murders reported to have occurred in each city and the population of each city. So they're trying to get a ratio. So here is a countdown of the cities. Uh, and the, the countdown goes in reverse. If you're looking at the article, neighborhoodscott.com. I'm scrolling down to the, the top of the article because I want to at least get the first five in there uh, before we talk about the coronavirus. So East, East St. Louis, Illinois, the murder rate is, of course, they take it per 1,000 residents. So it's .87. The number of actual murders as of the date of the writing was 23. And so East St. Louis has a murder rate of 7.5x. 7.5x. That means seven. 0.5 times the U.S. average. The second city that's on the um, on this chart 
of this article published in January of this year, St. Louis, Missouri, which is not Illinois, it's St. Louis, Missouri, and they have a 12.3 times the average in the U.S. rate. The number of murders was actually 187. So I've discussed statistics before. East St. Louis has a murder rate of 17.5, but yet there are only 23 actual deaths. And that's because the population of the city is lower. Gary, Indiana is on this list. This is a list of 30 cities. Their murder rate is 10.6, the U.S. average. Again, this is take the population, the ratio of them by taking the entire population and then looking at the deaths per 1,000 residents. Chester, Pennsylvania, the murder rate is 10.6, the Times of the United States average. Baltimore, Maryland, the murder rate is 10.3. York, Pennsylvania, 9.1, the U.S. Natural, uh, national average. Petersburg, Virginia, 8.9. Again, understand the statistics. Petersburg had 14 uh, murdered victims. And this article does not show how many are gunshots, how many are um, the other types of deaths. But there were only 14, but yet it, the rate is 8.9. Birmingham, Alabama is number eight. Detroit, Michigan, the number of murders in Detroit was 263, which is 7.8 times the U.S. average. Danville, Illinois, the murder rate is 7.8 times the U.S. average. The number of murders was actually 12. New Orleans, the murder rate, again, this is taken per 1,000, it is 7.5 times the national average with 147. I'm skipping down to a few. We're broadcasting from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Cleveland, Ohio is not in this first 15 or so. Youngstown, Ohio, has a rate of 7.1 times the U.S. average. And I'm going to go all the way down to the last one uh, so that we can have a little bit more time to talk about the coronavirus. And that's West Palm Beach, Florida with a murder rate of 4.8 times the U.S. average. If you are in any of these places and you need to understand um, how to become a grassroots activist, how do we reduce the numbers? You're in East St. Louis, Illinois, for instance. St. Louis, Missouri, for instance. If Gary, Indiana, definitely, uh, if you're following me on Twitter, On Air Angel. Or, and you can also contact the epidemiologist, Lisa Rose Rodriguez. She's willing to come to your church or your, um, your church or other nonprofit and discuss how to reduce interpersonal conflict that will result in the number of homicides that occur in the United States of America. So still, while the coronavirus is going on, uh, we are looking at the fact that homicides are still going on in these areas, and of course, and of course, homicides in the United States are most likely to be committed with a handgun. So, in closing, we have about uh, Scotty. I'm checking the time. I believe we have less than ten minutes to go, and I'm going to take a look at an article. It is called "Coronavirus Discriminates by Race, Ethnicity." Italian. It's the first. European breakout 
Italians were also disproportionately vulnerable to the 1918 Spanish flu. So why am I looking at ethnicity? Um, in Europe, the statistics of a race are muddled because they don't, they don't keep them in the way that the United States does. But the um, subcontinent of Europe definitely has ethnic groups. And those of you who are in America, you're probably aware. If you're African-American, you might live in a neighborhood that's integrated with people from Mexico, or you may have friends from school, their parents are Italian. Then we have an immigrant history. So I just want to give a little bit about this. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about the prevention and the time that we have left. So it seems fairly likely that the corona, like other forms of influenza, discriminate not just by age, sex, and race, but also ethnicity and the U.S. ethnic ancestry. And this article is actually, um, it's called SGT Report, The Corporate Propaganda Antidote. And of course, I like to give different points of view. There are still ethnic as well as racial patterns that mean most people in the U.S. and Europe probably don't have to worry. When it, is, when it finally happened, an Italian adrenal trebesian, a retired bricklayer, is the first acknowledged case of white dying of coronas after arriving in Mauritius as authorities demand all on board are quarantined or fly straight back amid concerns over coronavirus which has killed six in this small country. So in other words, this article um, is taking a look at ethnicity and the way um, people are perceived as carrying the virus from one country to the other, or people's perceptions of vulnerability or what we call disease naive. The media-induced hysteria has indeed accelerated into a true crazy mold. mode. Italian supermarket shelves now so bereft that fights are breaking out and the final few packets of paparadelli. And that's a type of pasta that's got a very wide band. Um, the mortality rate among males is roughly double that among females. And this was reported in an article called Age, Sex, Existing Conditions of COVID-19 Cases and Death. So there, there seems to be a correlation. Um, I want listeners to take a look at that article. And if you are African-American or Latino, I'm sure you're wondering, um, I'm sure you're wondering what's going on within these communities. And we haven't been getting a lot of reporting, so um, I don't know yet, and I can come back with that next week. You know, what do the numbers look like in our population? Are we not exposed because we don't travel as much? Is there an economic piece where you have to have been out of the country or on a cruise ship. And um, you can read more about the article. I want to do some more time on the convention, con prevention. Coronavirus discriminates by race and ethnicity, ethnicity, and it links it to the Spanish influenza in 1918. And of course, Italy is not one of the richest countries in the European Union. That's also um, something to take a look at when you look at demographics. Again, a lot of times these things like ethnicity, race, nationality, they are more complicated, but, um, but drawing a correlation between what's going on can help with the contract tracing. It can help with curing. Age, of course, is, has popped out. is a dynamic here in the coronavirus pandemic. So um, 
how many deaths from corona in the U.S. so far, and then we'll take a look at the prevention and the time we have left. Um, the article that I'm looking at, um, okay, let me see if I can get, um, I'm trying to load that on just by numbers. Here we go. In the United States, as of this airing or taping of the show, there are 1,500 deaths. And interestingly enough, there are 99,000 confirmed cases. Italy, which that article was looking at Italian travelers to different parts of the Middle East and other countries. Uh, Italy has 86,000 confirmed cases. And as of the airing of this show, 9,134 deaths. So some basic prevention again for corona um, is how can you how can you prevent it? Washing hands is one of them. Social distancing, of, of course. And when you wash your hands, I want to reference uh, Sanjay Gupta's video on how to wash your hands. Remember, he is a surgeon, and he advises people that very often in hand washing, you're not washing your hands long enough, and you are not um, you are not uh, washing your thumbs, which I think is very interesting. And of course, Sanjay Dupa, Sanjay Gupta is the uh, medical reporter, one of the medical reporters on CNN, but one who also happens to be a surgeon. So those are some of the things I want to mention today. I want to thank you for listening. I want to remind people that there is there are several epidemics going on. One is the coronavirus, and the other one is gun violence. Thanks for listening to Victims to Victorious on the Black Talk Radio Network.